Hi, I'm Dove Fox. You're listening to the Audible Original Podcast, Donor 9623, Part 1, where I uncover a world of betrayal in the biggest reproductive hoax of our time. Shocking details emerge in my quest for the truth, and it doesn't stop here. An all-new Part 2 is available now. You won't want to miss this thrilling next chapter only from Audible. Visit audible.com donor to learn more and sign up for your free trial. Because that night, thoughts were still rushing like... We were freaked. We were very <laughs> freaked. Alex Norman is talking about this day, three years ago, when he found himself wondering about his biological dad, a man he knew only by a number, 9623. Until that point, Alex and his mom Wendy knew their donor to be a gifted athlete, musician, and scientist. I was really proud of, like, all the things that he put down for, like, his accomplishments. I was just very happy that I got lucky with the donor that I had. For years, this profile, that number, was all Alex and Wendy had to go on. So one night, Alex googled donor 9623 just to see what would come up. Yeah, things kind of changed. I want to back up a minute and tell you how the world of sperm banking got started, because it is a very strange story. And I think it says a lot about how this industry gave rise to donor 9623. The first mention of sperm donation in a U.S. medical journal came in 1909. A Philadelphia merchant and his younger wife couldn't get pregnant, so they went to see an acclaimed physician named William Pancoast. Pancoast found that gonorrhea had left the man sterile. But he didn't tell them that. Instead, he called the wife in under the guise of a basic follow-up and chloroformed her in front of a half-dozen medical students. Then he instructed the best-looking among them to produce a sperm sample, which Pancoast injected into the unconscious woman with a rubber syringe. Nine months later, she gave birth to a baby boy. Pancoast eventually told the husband who was reportedly pleased. The man decided his wife never needed to know that he wasn't the biological father. So the mother and child, they didn't find out for 25 years until after the husband and Pancos passed away. That's when one of the doctor's six students published a story in that medical journal under the title Artificial Impregnation. So sperm donation didn't exactly start on ethical high ground. A century later, Alex Norman started getting curious about his donor. I went through his profile and looked for anything that was notable. Like he said, he was at the top of like a drum corps or something. So I looked through that. I did not find anything. So Alex tried Googling the number that the sperm bank, Zytex, assigned to his donor, 9623. So maybe by looking it up, I can find something on like the corporate website or something like that. And then the moment I searched that up, there was a big article that was like, sperm donor scandal, like, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, huh. The article said that donor 9623 was very different from the man his profile had described. All the 
basic descriptions he put out were accurate, like hair color, height, eye color, all the things. But whenever it came down to like anything that had happened in his life or anything that like about him besides that, it was just completely different. All I keep thinking is this can't be the donor. And yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The local news showed a TV reporter ambushing a disheveled man outside his home. Is there anything you would want to say to these families? They showed a very brief clip of him, and he looked like a the woodsman. He did. He, he, he looked like a homeless. Yeah. yeah. Is this something that's about to happen to me? Is this going to be just a really crappy point in my life where I learned that everything's downhill from here on out? What Alex learned that night made him question who he was and what his future held. It turns out, Alex wasn't alone. A couple years earlier, a whole bunch of families who had kids from Donor 9623 had embarked on a frantic search of their own. One of those parents is Angie. Hi, Bug. How was your day? Was your day good? Yeah? Did you slide down the hill again at recess? Angie is a high school PE teacher. She lives with her son and partner in a small town on Lake Ontario. We sat at the kitchen table, looking out at the trampoline in their backyard. Her son is 12, with curly blonde hair. He plays the drums, just like donor 9623. You asked the drum instructor if it was okay? I'm not saying his first name. Oh, cool. Or Angie's last name. That would be awesome. Because Angie hasn't told her son the whole truth about his biological dad. She doesn't think he's old enough yet to understand. And when he is, she wants to be the one to tell him. She doesn't want it all to tumble out in a Google search, the way it did for Alex Norman. I want to be able to control how that information, not that you can really control any of it, but at least to soften it. Not that he was a bad person. I don't want him ever to have that message that the donor was a bad person. The donor had an illness. The donor's illness impacted decisions he made. Angie picked donor 9623 for a lot of the same reasons Wendy did. She liked his high IQ and academic success. I'm a master's degree candidate. I'm studying artificial intelligence. I plan on... That he was tall and athletic. I'm six feet four inches, so I'm naturally acclimated to basketball. And highly cultured. I speak about five languages semi-fluently. I studied Italian to be more well-versed in opera. Angie wanted to know as much as she could about this guy. I do actually remember calling just to sort of get a sense of who they thought he was as a person. You know, like, what kind of air does he give off? You know, is he, is he confident? Is he funny? What's he into? What hand does he write with? Is he a good person? I get why she'd want to know this stuff. When you have kids the old-fashioned way, you meet the person, spend time together. You can ask anything you want. But when you use a sperm bank, you only get the information the company gives you. There's a lot that we don't really think about if we haven't been adopted or we're not conceived by donor sperm, that tie of who you really are. I mean, and, and when you realize your parents are decent people, I mean, I guess you kind of innately believe that you are too. So early on, she called the sperm bank, Zytex. It's one of the biggest and most highly regarded in the world. Angie mostly talked with the company's director of donor recruitment, a woman named Mary Hartley. Remember that name. We'll hear from Hartley later. 
Angie asked her, what was donor 9623 like in person? Like when he came in, most of the staff all wanted to have an opportunity to talk with him. He came off as very confident, quite funny, extremely intelligent. I probably read four or five books a month, just nonfiction mostly, uh, histories and biographies. Although I do and she'd always say that he is of a different caliber than most who come through the door. Uh, early testing showed a gift, I guess I should say, towards the mathematics and... Uh, the scientific fields. Even after Angie had her son, she kept asking for updates. I'd say, you know, where is he at right now? You know, did he end up getting his master's? Um, what's he doing? You know, at one point they said, yeah, he got his master's. There was even a conversation where they talked about how he had really long hair and now he's got it all cut off and that he's filled out a bit. Why did you keep calling? What were you hoping to learn? Well, he's the DNA for this little individual that we've created who I couldn't love more than another human being on the face of the earth. I wanted to build a story beyond what was written on the paper, right? So you're imagining as he grows up, maybe he gets curious, has questions, and you wanted to be able to share more with him than just that piece of paper you'd gotten and any other information. I wanted to be prepared to fill in the gaps with all the really, the the nuances of who a person really is. Angie figured she wasn't the only one out there who had a child using sperm from donor 9623. She also wanted to get a sense of this new extended family of sorts. I'd seen something on Oprah with uh, Wendy Kramer and her son Ryan. Wendy Kramer is a big figure in the world of assisted reproduction. She's usually the first person reporters call when they're doing a story about sperm banks. She and her son Ryan founded the Donor Sibling Registry. It's a website that helps kids like Ryan connect with their sperm donors and genetic half-siblings. And I was like, oh, there's this Donor Sibling Registry. Well, I'm going to go check it out. So I went on my computer and I ended up registering with the Donor Sibling Registry. And then You just type in his number? Uh, Yeah, you can look down a list. Like they have all the... Pages and pages of sperm banks, first of all. And then you find the sperm bank you used, and then you can register under the number of who your donor is. She contacted one of the 9623 moms. They started talking, struck up a friendship. And, you know, we realized we're both, you know, in, in gay relationships. And, you know, we talk a little bit about our, our kids, like their, their likes, dislikes. Um, you know, do they have big feet? <laughs> uh, all that kind of stuff. They look like each other, so we'd share pictures. Others joined, and the moms took things over to Facebook. They formed a group for families of donor 9623. Five of them even vacationed together, rented condos over a long weekend in 2012. It was right on the water, so we would just go out every day to the beach, and then we'd come back and, you know, eat meals, and kids would run around. We had everything from toddlers to four or five, three, four or five around that age. Yeah, they're pretty young. How do you think about each other? Well, we're kind of family, right? We're, we all have kids that are related to each other. Um, so there's that strong connection. The summer of 2014, Zytex decided to try something new. They set up a system for families to send messages back and forth with their donors. Sperm banks had always maintained distance between donors and families. But the mood in the industry was changing. 
The donor sibling registry was pushing sperm banks to share more information with kids who wanted to know where they came from. Zytex was probably feeling that pressure to open up. So ZyConnex, that's what the company called this new feature, was a big deal. And donor 9623 signed up. There was that like, whoa, he's there? Like, let's join. Now the moms could actually write to him, ask him questions, tell him about their kids. But families didn't have direct access to their donors. Everything went through the company. They authorize every post, right? Nothing comes from him that doesn't... That doesn't get seen by them first. Yeah. A mom from their Facebook group joined ZyConnects first. Yeah, she was our person that we would say, ask him this, ask him that, mm-hmm. until we kind of all got on there ourselves. Angie pulls up a document on her laptop. It's 235 pages long. A log of all the Facebook messages the moms exchanged around then. I scroll to the very top. Yeah, I know when he first spoke to her, he shared a picture. The first clue was a photo, a new photo of donor 9623 that he was sharing with the moms for the first time. Got like a new picture, a different picture than any of Yeah, a different see. picture than what we would have had. This photo looked nothing like the one from his profile. And she was like, guys, do you really think this is our donor? So we we're like, ah, oh, you know, kind of chalked it up to, it's very grainy. It's hard to tell. His hair is shorter now. And we're like, oh, yeah, the earlobes kind of look similar. Like we were trying to sort of piece together that this was the guy. And did you just think the picture was more recent or you were thinking, hey, that's maybe a different guy. This one's more reliable than the photo. Um, Both. We all wanted to think the best case scenario. By this point, most of the other moms from the group had joined ZyConnects too. And the picture thing was weird, but mostly they were just excited. Zytex was even telling them their donor's first name, Chris. The moms got together and made a photo book for their donor, had Zytex mail it to him, so he could see what their kids looked like, his biological children. And that was in a very short period of time after getting on there that we, we learned who he was. In June of 2014, the company emailed the ZyConnects network for donor 9623. These messages were usually sent as a blind copy, so no one's email address was visible. But this time, each individual address appeared in the CC line. So the name of each recipient was right there, in plain sight. A mom realized that she was getting email addresses when something would post. And she reached out to us and said, hey, guys, I was able to take one email address and find out, you know, what school her kids go to. Like, this is just so wrong on so many levels. I think in the meantime, while we were having discussions and talking about that Chris had joined and being all, woo, living in our little la-la land, um, she continued to do more research with the emails that were there. One by one, she matched each email address to a mom from the group. That left one email address. One address she didn't recognize. Well, she'd been kind of quiet for a little bit. Several hours later, uh, she's back online and she says, I'm going to apologize in, in advance because it's been a long, stressful day. So first, Zytex sent me Chris's email by mistake. The email address had a last name. Agalies. Chris Agalies. Donor 9623. So 
we're all like, what did you find out? So she says, so I was Googling the email address when all these drum links popped up. Yeah, that was kind of a hint. I know who he is and some good and bad things about him. The bad thing is something I can't actually confirm. He or someone with his very rare name was commenting on what it was like to have schizophrenia. Are you kidding? She's like, no, I I wish I were. I've been shaking for three hours. So then um, one of the moms says, well, this has got to be easy enough to find out. So then that kind of starts the ball rolling of everybody else chipping in and, and sleuthing. People are like, holy crap. We have to be able to confirm all of this. Like, hopefully we're all wrong. Did he know about it before he joined? Why didn't Zytex tell us? And then as a day or two goes on, people are finding more things. There was another post about bipolar disorder. It just kept getting worse and worse. Listening to their reactions reminded me of those stages of grief. You know, the ones that start with... A level of denial from some of the folks. They just, they just want to know he's got to be healthy. This can't all be true. Maybe he has a cousin named Chris. And that's where somebody else says, there is a Chris with the same last name in Germany. And then somebody says, yes, I saw that, but the drum thing. A couple days of detective work put that denial to rest. This was definitely their donor. One mom found a June 2013 Facebook post by an older guy with the same last name. Great night out, the post read. Lots of time down memory lane. It was written by Chris's father, Tom. The post had a family photo with the dad's five sons. It tagged each of them by name, including Chris. It was that same grainy picture with the shorter hair that Chris had just sent to the moms over Zyconex. He just cropped everyone else out of it. Chris's dad also had a blog, which mentioned his ex-wife, Chris's mother, who has a different name. That led Angie and the moms to another site. It's kind of like this uh, spiritual... It's not a blog, but, uh, you know, where people just post stuff. Like a forum? or A forum, yeah. So the spiritual forum that she would post stuff in. And that's where we, you know, saw um, one time where she posted life with him was living hell. Angie reads the post from February 2008. My first son was diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia and went crazy before my eyes, in and out of hospitals, jail, getting beat up. I remember to choose love during these times to know that he was not a victim and neither was I. And then there was a comment on a YouTube post. Angie pulls it up on her computer. He says, I have schizophrenia. The hearing voices is kind of hard to explain, but here goes. It's like my thought gets interrupted by a voice that tells me something that usually has nothing to do with what I was just thinking. It will say things that are derogatory and demeaning to me. That, for me, is the toughest part. I wish I had more space to describe it, dot, dot, dot. According to court records, Chris was 22 when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia in June of 1999. A few weeks later, he went to Zytex and became a sperm donor. Donor 9623. 
It's like a lead ball just went from your throat down into your stomach and you're trying to hold back throwing up. Sickness, helplessness. This is who I selected to create a human with. How did I fail my kid like that? Why would you have blamed yourself? Like, why would you still have felt that way even when you were so on top of everything? Well, that's it. You, you think that you're doing your due diligence and doing the research that's uh, prudent. And as it turned out, I clearly didn't do enough somehow. Can you tell me what does schizophrenia look like in its earliest stages? The extreme disturbances of thought, of perception, um, becoming preoccupied with astrology, being preoccupied with the supernatural, um, believing that people are conspiring against them. That's Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, head of psychiatry at Columbia University Medical Center and former president of the American Psychiatric Association. He's written 10 books about serious mental illness. His focus is schizophrenia. And then these then become further distorted uh, and become what are called delusions, false beliefs. My family is trying to poison me or agents of the government that are trying to put computer chips in my head. So they'll form these crystallized delusions. And then in addition, hearing voices that are talking about them, telling them things to do, they think it's their reality. Dr. Lieberman told me these symptoms usually start slowly, subtly, between ages 15 and 25. What can happen next often seems to come out of the blue. A full-blown psychotic episode where a person can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not. Could donor 9623's lies have been connected to his mental illness? Dr. Lieberman and other experts I talked to said it was impossible to know. Still, I wondered. When people hear the term schizophrenia, what images typically come to mind? An individual who is deranged, the homeless person on the street who's shouting at nobody in particular, or is walking around in the cold without the proper clothing or shoes, or the mass murderer, the serial killer, or the psychotic individual, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, or the Unabomber. People feel alien to what schizophrenia is. It's something that's other, and it's mysterious, and it's scary. There's no cure, he told me. But medication and therapy can help if you notice the warning signs and intervene straight away. We have treatment. We have ways of alleviating the symptoms, ways of ensuring that people can live you know, pretty much normal lives. The problem is, though, that you need to get there early. You need to get there as you know, close to the onset of the illness as you can. And if it's not managed in an effective way on a sustained basis, it results in a gradual type of atrophy a reduction in the volume of uh, gray matter in specific regions of the brain. And once that happens, then uh, you can't restore it. It's a little bit like Humpty Dumpty. You know, you can prevent Humpty Dumpty from falling off the wall, but once he's done so, you can't put them all back together. 10% to 15% of people with schizophrenia attempt suicide or die by suicide. 
the most common reason is that they have symptoms which are impelling them to do it. So they have voices which are saying, you should kill yourself or you should jump off that uh, building or you should take this gun and shoot yourself. In some cases, Lieberman says, it's not so much these voices, but the prospect of just living with this illness that begins to feel unbearable. You take somebody who's completely normal, is functioning well, is looking forward to getting on with their life, then they get sick and they find they can't shake this thing and they still have enough insight into understanding how it's impacted their life and their their future prospects. They become demoralized and a suicide then becomes an option that they would consider. Lieberman told me, there's no single schizophrenia gene. It's not black and white like that. Environmental factors matter too. But having a mom or dad with a disease makes it a lot more likely. For kids who have a genetic parent with schizophrenia, what chance do they have of developing the disease? Well, if the incidence in the general population is approximately 1%, if you have a sibling or a parent that has it, uh, your chances are between 10 and 20 out of 100. So, you know, it's a significant increase. Having a genetic parent with schizophrenia makes you 10 to 20 times more likely to develop the disease yourself compared with a child who doesn't have a parent with schizophrenia? Right. Learning the truth about Donor 9623 forced Wendy Norman to rethink everything that had happened with Alex. Had all the rages and lashing out been signs of something bigger, something she didn't know to look for, an even greater threat still to come? The voices. The voices. That is a very clear sign. Everyone says you'll know it's not your voice, but you talk to yourself all the time. So how do you know it's not you talking to yourself? You have these times where, like, you feel bad and, like, antisocial and you're sad. And at those times, you say... What if all these things that I'm telling myself aren't really me? What if they're like the voices that I've heard about so many times that are telling me these things? When it does happen, it's usually in the early 20s. So it's, it's we're not past anything, you know, even though he goes to therapy and he's very grounded and he's very mature and all of that. We, I, I don't think I'll feel comfortable till he's in his 30s. It's scary. It's, it's, I can't dwell on it. I can't. In a way, Wendy is one of the lucky ones. Because at least she knows those signs she needs to look out for in her child. But there are dozens of other families out there who have kids from donor 9623. And lots of those families still don't know the truth. How many kids were there? As I'd soon learn... That's a hard question to answer. And this man, who fathered them all, what else was he hiding? That's next on Donor 9623.
In the thrilling conclusion of Donor 9623, dive deeper into the mind and motives of Chris Agalese as he confronts the families forged in the wake of his lies. The final chapter of this odyssey is available now at audible.com donor, only from Audible. Here's a sneak peek. But then an email landed in my inbox. It read, I have a son from Donor 9623, and my son would like to meet him. I want nothing from the donor except a chance to ask some questions that only he can answer. Would you be willing to reach out and see if he'd be open to talking? And just like that, this story I'd thought was over, it turns out was just getting started.